confidants. Welcome back to another episode of Confidently Insecure, the podcast where we are absolutely sure we don't know everything. And I hope y'all got your coffee. I hope y'all are feeling hyped today because I am so excited to bring in this week's guest. Someone I actually met on the internet, I don't even know, like probably two years ago. And this is the first time we're actually meeting in person, which is like how we do as millennials these days. She is an author. She is an entrepreneur. She's got a story and a conversation to be had that I don't think we've had something this important talked about in a very long time. So I'm so excited to introduce her. Hi, Nadia Okamoto. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on. So I actually have your book right here, Period Power, a manifesto for the menstrual movement because I love the way your book looks. Like it is (laughs) such a coffee table, like gorge in your fucking face book. Thank you. You did that on purpose, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Simon & Schuster really killed it with the book, the book design. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, it's been, it's crazy. So, oh, I totally did not celebrate this because I didn't recognize it, but two days ago was the two-year anniversary of it coming out. Happy birthday, period, power. Exactly. (laughs) Mm. So that's how I found out about you was that you started this movement um you have been like kind of in the period um activism for quite some time and you know when we reached out to have you on the podcast a while ago you were kind of going through like the biggest (laughs) change and like uh scandal slash mental health rehabilitation like you were as the kids say, going motherfucking through it. And I just think it's so bold and cool of you to just have like an honest fucking conversation. I should also mention you're 22 and the shit that you have done in your life. I mean, that you've been recognized for like just some of your accolades, right? Like you were one of glamour's women of the year. You were on Forbes 30 under 30. You had a L'Oreal women of worth award. Like I think you won every award for being a woman before the age of 22. Like, does that resonate for you like does that even settle no No. and I mean I think we'll get into it with the mental health thing but I think that like a lot of what I've been grappling with is kind of overcoming this like addiction to work and like not knowing who I am outside of work and so what's interesting is I think that there I get this question a lot which is like how does it feel to have done all this stuff and And you're like like shit I feel like shit (laughs) and I think it's kind of this like weird imposter syndrome thing and I always feel like I kind of sound like an uh, ungrateful person but because I'm just like um I mean fine like it's just kind of that like yeah it's almost like what you you know coming from trauma you're like oh this is what I want to do I'm ambitious but then once you have it you're like oh I don't deserve this like this is not for me like something Mm. is wrong well there's a lot of layers to it like you talk a lot in your book about sort of your upbringing and like you mentioned the trauma that is outside of everyone's regular childhood trauma. Like, I always joke. I'm like, everyone had a traumatic childhood, but, like, you went through some fucking shit that you talk about in the book, and then you had this, like, wild success fucking, like, you said, obsession with work and, like, really powerful 
a high standard of work. Like you really held yourself to um, a measure of success that I don't know like anyone your age that that can do. And as you've become more successful, like comes more problems and you've you've been more open about your struggles and things like there's so many layers to yeah. the type of fucking trauma you've been through. And then on top of that, to have sort of like this uh, moment of like cancel culture happen to you earlier this year with your company. Like, can you tell the audience a little bit about <laughs> the year that is 2020? Oh, for my you? gosh. <laughs> well, I'll preface this all to say that like, I think that I'm coming into this conversation like not as a, oh, I went and did the work and now I'm all better and everything is fine. And I feel like that's what I honestly love about your work mm. and your platform is like, Thank I think you. the conversation that needs to be had is like, let's get role models who haven't like gone through it and are all done, but like have role models and people who are open and saying like, I'm a fucking mess right now. <laughs> I'm working on it and I am surrounding myself with people who make sure I'm working mm. on it. So mm. that's kind of where I am with that. Absolutely. But, Thank yeah, you for I saying mean, that. <laughs> 2020 has been a shit show for everyone, like the whole world, global pandemic. So my sort of small story in this sort of whole crazy year is, you know, I've been working for the last six years since I was 16 mm. um, in this activist space of trying to end period poverty and period stigma. Mm. I started this nonprofit when I was 16 and it scaled like yeah. very quickly. Like we grew into, you know, distributing millions of period products, people wow. and me. I wrote the book and yep. then like, you know, there was a lot of visibility in social media as youth activism, quote unquote, right. comes this glorified thing on social media. Right. And at the same time, like, you know, we, I built like this chapter network with our team that, you know, grew to, by the time I was done as executive director, about 900 chapters registered wow. in all 50 states. And, 50 and what's a chapter just in case anyone who like doesn't come from a sorority background yes. like me, I mean, it's not the same, but like, I was like, what the fuck is a chapter? <laughs> yeah, no, a chapter was basically, I mean, the concept at the beginning was just like, how do we build toolkits and just hand them to young people on the ground? So we weren't just asking people like, Oh, share on social media, but we're like, if you want to get involved, like start this organization in your area. Right. And right. so it was kind of just a bringing the commission of the organization to life on the ground. And I mean, I think for me, you know, there's a lot of sort of leading from a lot of trauma, which is where I think I ended up in kind of where I was, but like, I was very heads down working on this, doing high school, doing all these other things. And then in, um, I stepped down from executive director in January. Mm -hmm. So we did a national search, uh, you know, kind of replaced myself, but I stayed on in an advocacy role. Yeah. And then in June, people, other activists in the space started coming forward and sharing their stories of feeling silenced or harmed by my work. And mm -hmm. I think these accounts of how did Nadia and like, to sort of try to monopolize right uh, that's a, a big word yeah. right like if you just were to google sorry to cut you off but like just no, to no. update listeners on like the the current situation or I guess a few months ago like yeah monopolizing on a movement would kind of be like equivocal to you know, um, what would you say? Like if black lives matter belonged to one person, it was like, yes, no, we're trying to create like black lives matter movements in all yeah. spaces, but 
what was nuanced about your creation was that the women that were coming forward were women of color, uh, black yeah. women specifically. I mean, you, you're you women of color yourself, yeah. but that it fed into the idea that like we don't give black women credit where credit's due pretty much anywhere in yeah. fucking society. Totally. And that they felt silenced by another woman of color, which is a tricky fucking subject. Like it yeah. is tricky, right? It's like levels of oppression come into play and like, uh, who is wrong. And again, like I think the cancel culture that we bring to a conversation like that isn't helpful. And I think what's positive about the the situation that happened with you is like, I think those women who came forward knew that cancel culture is not like something that's going to solve yeah. this. Like saying like, yeah. fuck that chick. She, we feel this way. We're canceling it. It's like, no, there was a, like, there's, like you said, 900 other chapters of this really important movement involved. Yeah. And we can't really like place blame on one person. Like, yeah. I don't know. How do you feel? I mean, so I'll say like when it was first happening, it was a lot of like shock. Like I, because a lot of the people who came forward, like I've interacted with years ago, I hadn't really heard this before at all. And right. so when it started coming, I think it was kind of a, like, I just kind of froze and I have not taken a break in the last six years and so it was sort of this like oh my god don't move like yes. but then not knowing what to do with myself right but I took it very seriously and I think that like for the you know the the people who specifically came forward like I think now I have at the beginning I did not feel this way but right now I sort of am grateful for it because oh, I yeah, think that right. this is sort of it thrusts me into a journey of like necessary learning mm -hmm. and healing my own shit like mm -hmm. that I really have needed for a long time right but so basically like you know and hearing you know all of this of like sort of the the conversations around what does it look like to take up too much space in oh. a social movement, right mm. what does it look like to because I did not create this movement like mm. I'm not the first one who realized oh people menstruate like <laughs> you're not like, oh. I'm yeah. the face of period <laughs> no, like and I think that that's what was hard about what it was like and I think this is a big realization of regardless of what my intentions were, right. this was something that people felt silenced by. And right. that was what I really had to acknowledge was no matter, I cannot say like, Oh, I didn't mean to. The reality is that journalists and social media, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you've been written about like yeah. journalists will write the headline that will get clicks. And right. so that headline was Nadia Okamoto, young woman, like 18 year old leads menstrual movement, right? Mm. You know, found and you're the like, movement. they gave that to me. Well, I've been dubbed the face of period. And I think that what, where I was more, where I should have been more aware was like stepping in and saying right. like, no, this isn't true. Yeah, this isn't true. And also I think that w something it really pushed me to do is like, how do I show up into each space and be thinking about all the other people I can bring up? Right. Wow. Because that was something with like, with growing the organization, I cared so deeply about chapters. Like I'm yeah. still in contact with a lot of them. Like I would fucking die right. with a lot of them. Like right. I, I love these, like these sort of like younger sisters I have that I work with. And I think that was one of the most personally hard things for me was like getting on calls with all of them and feeling how much they were upset mm. with me and how mm. disappointed and how let down they were. And a lot of them just stepped out of the period space and are not doing the actors anymore. Wow. Like that was the hardest thing for me. But I think that like, I, I had maybe blindly been like, oh, well, like I'm creating something that's making all these people feel empowered. So like, 
What's the problem? (laughs) And I think that what this was, which is so important, was kind of getting me out of that mindset and saying, no, it's not just about bringing those people up. It's also about bringing them to the table with you. But not only that, but reaching out outside of the network, outside of like what is actually my brand. So there was a lot there. And I think for me- That's a lot to take in as a 22. Also, like, I I didn't want to stop your what you were saying, but like, I have to imagine a knee-jerk reaction to- to being called out like that publicly when you you feel like you haven't heard that would be an emotional reaction. And like, I don't think I would do very well in that situation. Right. Because like you said, it's like, no matter what your intention was, it, it, it doesn't matter. The intention doesn't matter because this is how people feel and you have to, you know, apologize but also the apologize is never going to be right for everyone right like it's going to feel performative to some people it's going to feel PR'd like it's so nuanced when you're a public figure like how do I apologize and make everyone happy and the reality is like you're not going to make everyone happy yeah and also giving yourself space to still notice that your come up was a dream for a lot of people like when you're at that age and you're trying to make a name for yourself and you got as much success as you did like whether or not you labeled yourself as these things or journalists and l'oreal and glamour labeled you them it's still you're still at that time in your life where you are trying to make something of yourself and your brand yeah no for sure and I think that I mean yeah it was it was hard for me but I think like the the sort of stories that came from other active menstrual justice activists like I really took fucking seriously like those are the ones I read over and over and over again I think what was hard mental health wise was wrapped in in that was also a lot of sort of feedback that there was a feeling that I had not lied, but like exaggerated about my past experience,ness ex past experience with homelessness, right? Right, because that's when, a big part of you know period yeah. poverty. Well, and when I started this organization, my family was, we were just coming out of a situation where we were having to live with friends to make ends mm-hmm. meet and like, you know, financial instability and, and housing instability was like a big formative experience for me. But when all this started happening, and you know, Twitter, it started as like, you know, it, it was an exaggeration. It was really housing instability, not homelessness. And then there was the fighting of, but that's the federal definition and not. But then where I think it got hard was then seeing the, like the sort of, um, that the these made up stories like mm. oh my mom's actually a millionaire and she hired a publicist to like do oh, this oh fuck and people then, said that and then I was getting DMs saying like prove you're on financial aid prove like why did you have the Gates Millennium Scholarship why did you get all these scholarships for like poor kids or like low income wow. kids when you when you were actually a millionaire and it was like well I'm not a millionaire like I, like it became this whole sort of mm. that and then it became like. I remember like going into the depths of Twitter and finding these comments saying like, she lied about being raped. She lied about domestic violence, all of these wow. things to appropriate trauma. And oh, like, I, wow. and so I, I would say that like, it was such a great, it was a, it was a, not a great experience, but like it was a necessary experience to like hold me accountable for some things, mm-hmm. but it was the microcosm of that coupled with the, like, you know, every nightmare of a survivor mm-hmm. is like, you're lying. Not being told. Yeah. You, yeah. Prove it. Show the papers. Show this. Where the witnesses that I just like. And that coming me. from woke, I say in quotes, people feel so fucked up because I think 
that like ties into it a little bit too is like what I've noticed as I, and I'm fucking guilty. And I think it's specifically with white women. Cause we're the fucking worst is like, we always want to one up someone in, um, oppression or we want to one up someone in being more, more woke. It's like, yeah. they, we just want to be able to put down another woman to be like, but see, cause I know how to do it. Right. And it's like, well, no, you're doing exactly the thing that, you know, the right wing trolls are doing, right? You're invalidating the experience completely. You're uh, pushing women further apart, frankly. And I think to your point about like some of it being necessary, I think it also ties into like another woman of color being called out by black women. Like there really is that space that needs to happen, right? Like it yeah. can't just be white versus every other woman of color because I mean that is definitely white women's job to recognize but no. that inter uh uh racial sort of um injustice needs to be called out right and I think yeah. for for to your point of like some of it being valid I think that's where it was probably helpful for you right yeah no absolutely like I mean so I sort of like in June so this all happens at the beginning of June like this starts coming out there's like you know and and I think that the hardest thing for me is like, I just felt so alone because people who, who did really want to cancel were like DMing my family, all my friends. And so mm. I felt like I can't reach out to anyone. No one was really reaching out to me. And then a lot of mutual friends that we have who are also in the feminist space who I've known for years were posting about me publicly, but then in my DMs with hearts and messages saying like, oh, we don't actually, you know, this is not what we think. We just have to do it. We have to participate. And it was a lot of like, wow, what the not, fuck? <laughs> and it was like not knowing how to, who to trust. And it was like, so <sighs> I just, it was all of these things together of like knowing that a huge piece of this in this space is something that I should and absolutely need to be held accountable for. Right. And then a lot of it was like triggering. And then, so yeah. it was things where, all my PTSD came back, all my depression. And literally Oof. within days, I was not pooping. I was not eating. I was not sleeping. I was like, Your I body was, just I, shut down. Body completely shut down. Like did not poop for two weeks. And then was throwing oh. up because I like my Girl, body. You got to poop. I know. And then it was like, I wasn't sleeping. And then I, I would wake up and have three hour panic attacks. So yeah. then a few weeks later in early June, I was admitted into a trauma rehab facility uh, wow. residential. And so I, Congrats. did you get the wet. sweatpants? We all have the, we all have the sweatpants, right? What does that I look have, like? Cause so I feel I, like some people think you're like wheeled in on a stretcher with your like wrist tied. I was like driven in a black SUV through like the Hills of California to my place. I was like, Oh wait, this is like, I feel like a celebrity going to rehab. Like it's not, yeah. the you know, I mean, I think that this is where like the summer of like all the mental health support, I was like, I like, cause I struggled with suicidal ideation when I was really young in high mm. school. And like, that's exactly where I ended up without work. Right. Wow. And, and so I really had to be like, cause I mean, I started my organization when I was in a really dark mental health state mm. and mm. completely found my self-worth completely found like happiness in my work. Wow. But, that so could be that dangerous was, though. Yeah. When that was taken away, I was like, who the fuck am I? You have what no identity. Like no identity whatsoever. And then also thinking, well, the identity I thought I had is harmful and not what I want to be. Right. Mm. So, but I, this summer I have been so, so grateful. And I think recognize a lot of privilege and continue every day of like the fact that I was able to go to rehab. 
Like wow, the fact yeah. that, and honestly, that was one thing I had a hard time with other patients who were like, I'm so ashamed to be here, which is a whole other thing we have to deal with. Mm. Like there's a lot of shame of being there or like, I hate being here. Like people were forced to be there. And I was mm. like, do you know how much of a blessing it is? To be here? <laughs> Did you self-admit were you like, I'll go willingly? Well, so at first it was kind of brought up to me by my friends and family who are like, we don't we're worried about you. you. Like, yeah. like, you know, uh, this guy had just started dating. We ended up quarantined together. Like, I think he was not then like running this, administering, getting me like five different types of laxatives a day. Uh, like, wow. go, like he was, he was asking me what I would want to eat. And I was just so scared to make any decisions. I couldn't. Mm, you I were couldn't, paralyzed. Yeah. yeah. Paralyzed. I was like, well, I don't eat that. And I don't eat that. I actually just don't want to eat. And like, you um, need someone to just take care of you at that moment yeah make decisions for you (laughs) so I think it's a mix of both of like everyone in my life being like you need to go I had also jumped into startup mode in January so like I had left my positions and was like go and it was like everyone it was like if I'm going to be at the top of my game for investors for you know Mm -hmm. my team members like this is not I have to get right and like There's building a- that, like you said, like beyond the business part of it, because part of your recovery has to be separating yourself out of the business part of it. And like, uh, yeah, dealing kind of with every millennial woman's worst nightmare, which is like being publicly shamed. Did you read that book? So you've been publicly shamed. Yes. I was gonna say I have it because I know it's gonna happen. I'm just like waiting. I'm like, all right, when's my time? I'm gonna fuck up and well, learning about like taking the L's and moving on, right? But then how do you how do you bounce back from that? And the fact yeah. that you're like, you know, not drooling in the side of your like house right now is pretty incredible. Like, do so, you equate that to like your insane work ethic? Like, I need to be better, or did you allow yourself to really hit? rock bottom <laughs> just a traumatic question <laughs> yeah no I think that I think that like when I went to rehab I I was like in pretty rock bottom like I was mm. it was just like like who I am now with energy I was like no energy is like wisp like I am so loud and like I'm just a loud fucking person Same. and I like <laughs> I just got diagnosed with ADHD too which is like a whole Fun. new thing and like but in that moment like before I went I was just a shell I was right. like not yeah talking like not really moving yeah and so I think I felt kind of rock bottom a little bit there and like I think that it took me a few weeks to really give into the process mm. I was only supposed to be there for four weeks and then at the end of the four weeks I was like I'm not ready like I yeah. cannot wow. well I extended but like you know yeah I mean I think that I, I I sort of it took a little bit and then there was a day there I remember that I'll never forget where I just completely like, you know, mm. when you have that cry where you like can't breathe. Yeah. And you're just like a sh- fucking snot and water coming yes. out of every hole and everything's all swollen. <laughs> yes. Like my eyes were completely swollen, like everything. And I just like, but I think that was a really big turning point. And then I started feeling a lot better. And I'll say like, so I did rehab and you, you know, it's intense, yeah. like 12 hours a day, like all day therapy, 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 all day, all day, all day. But on top of that, before I went to rehab, I actually like brought on like a team of accountability coaches, like on holding, like helping, you know, people who, who do get called out for these things to say, okay, how do we actually like teach you like Mm -hmm. what you did wrong and what are the beliefs inside you that you need to fix? So I this team on and so I've been meeting with them multiple times a week like still today and I did this full like find people like that. 
Like, well, how do you oh, find I, that? <laughs> I found it, but um, I just like, it's been really incredible. And it kind of goes back to what you're saying about women of color who are not black and what is our role in racial justice too? Because through that, like, they came to me and they were like, here are white supremacy values and how your perfectionism is a symptom of white supremacy. Like these things that I had never heard of before and these elements of, you know, the model minority myth of being Asian American. Wait, what's that? Slow down. The model minority myth of being Asian American. Tell me. So the model minority myth is sort of the idea that like, the assumptions and stereotypes around Asian Americans mm-hmm. are like being the smart, wealthy minority who made it, right? Ah. Like it's actually completely, and this is what I learned through this process is like, it's a completely like white media created phenomenon where mm-hmm. like, you know, they, first of all, there was the Chinese exclusion act. They were like all Japanese people were like banned from Japanese and Chinese, like banned from immigrating right. to the U.S. Fucking and crazy. like Chinese people were the first like undocumented immigrants right, here. right. Exactly. And, but basically what happens is then the legislation in mid 20th century starts allowing in like the engineers, like they're kind of really smart. And then cherry picking. And then it ends up on like magazines of white media, like time magazine of like Asian students, like how they sell at math and all of these things. Mm. And so cut to today, like Asians are kind of put in this sort of like, oh, they're fine. Like they're the, they're the, they're the, they're well, the it's that kind of made it. created it being like, this is the closest to white is smart Asian. And it creates, it still creates this supremacist value yeah. of like, but you're never going to be white. But it's also this kind of like, well, first of all, I think what I really actually become obsessed with is, well, the term Asian American in and of itself and trying to lump like 40 different into one of like, there is so much a lack of representation for like Pacific Islanders and all the other types of like, like we, I think in this country, like I'm half Japanese and half Chinese. Like I feel represented on the Chinese side and the Japanese side. And that's where I have privilege in that. Right. Right. But what about all the other like Asians? She's fucking confident. So it was that, but also acknowledging that the model minority myth is rooted in anti-blackness, right? Oh, go on. So like basically by creating a model minority myth, Uh it's essentially creating like a good minority, Uh but then Uh. which immediately shares that then there's like a bad minority, Right. right? And so there's... And then it also, like, I'm actually taking a class at Harvard right now. I'm such a nerd about this, but like... Yeah, we forgot uh, to mention that you go to Harvard. (laughs) Okay. I've been taking this class. (laughs) I've been taking this class about, like, meritocracy. And I've been really obsessed with it because basically, you know, and it's a whole concept, concept of privilege and policy now is this idea that, oh, well, Asians, like, became this sort of successful group because they worked hard. Right. Right. Like I got teased my whole upbringing from other white people in my classes of like, oh, you try hard. You're so fucking good at math. Oh, you get straight A's. Right. Like that kind of. And it's because you're Asian. Yeah. And it's because I'm Asian and, you know, nerdy as I am. It was true. (laughs) But like, like, it's like you you say that like it's a bad thing. You fucking (laughs) students. But it's kind of the idea that, okay, well, if they made it socioeconomic, like mobility wise out of hard work, then that means other people who have not done that, they're just not working hard enough. Right. right? It's the bad minority. Which is a crazy problematic issue with like why we're still fighting for social welfare programs. Like, but, but so this is a kind of an example of like, 
I think when I went into rehab, I brought on this, I brought on this group because I honestly didn't know how to understand everything. I was mm. like, I don't know which, which people I should be thinking, okay, this right. is what real because I lost all confidence. So then I was like, Oh, like, did I lie about being raped? Like, right. did, was that actually something I invited? Right. Wow. Like, Oh, like I, I questioned everything. And right? how did you, how did you navigate through those thoughts? I mean, I obviously didn't. I was just spiraling down right. and rehab and yeah, it was, it was a lot. And I mean, while in rehab, it was a lot of neuropsych testing and learning like what you kind know, did you do like neurofeedback or like just like it was just like six hours of like uh, the questions and like oh do I you see. see attention but then it was yeah and it was also like people that like everyone just watching you and yeah anyway so I like I I going into it I was like oh like I have anxiety and PTSD and depression yeah. right but coming out of it, it was like oh, I have complex PTSD with dissociation and depersonalization, which is like mm. really kind of the craziest of like you remove yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very familiar. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a lot of complex PTSD and then learning about personality disorders and mm -hmm. learning about all of these, like, oh, it's a part of my fucking trauma that I have no sense of identity that I yeah. am like, I, yeah. So it, it was really, really not good. fall into like a victim mentality. Right. Because I can see it from both sides. Right. It's like the same way we never ever as white people, the white supremacists never gave room for black people to be successful in America from day one. They have kept them down. Right. And it's like, okay, well then we've kind of opened these little spaces for Asian Americans or, you know, the broad yeah. term to bring them in. And it's like, we still never gave space for people to feel like they were treated the same way as white people in this world. So it's like, I could see a bit of victim mentality of like, uh, that's uh, valid in that, right? That yeah. like you are afforded certain privileges that other minority groups might not be. But then you've also had these fucking tough things in your life happen to you that I say like are outside of tr uh, traditional childhood trauma that yeah. that can, that could put someone in a position to not do the work because it does feel like, no, I deserve to be fucked up or sad or spiraling because of these things that have happened to me. And so I guess, is it something you've thought about in rehab or outside of rehab now of like, how do you avoid the victimhood mentality? I mean, I think that like I was in a really unique position where like my career, like I was on like speaking tour before COVID hit, yep. like my career is getting on stages and being like, I was sexually abused by my dad. Like this is shit that I went through mental health, everything. And like, I would stand on stages and say, I'm still depressed. Like my mental health is mm -hmm. still something I'm working on. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know the extent of how my mental health was. And there mm -hmm. were like weeks while in rehab where I was like, I'm never getting out of this. Like I am mm. so fucked up. Mm. I am not able. And like, I still today, like yeah. I had, you know, it comes up in every, like last week I had this moment seeing like, you know, you know, pushback is still out there. Of course, like it's still being discussed, like where I was just like, this is not like, this is, it's just never, it's not linear. It's not, there's not like a destination that this no. is over. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I still have those moments where I do feel like, 
I kind of fall into this, not victim mentality. Mm. I don't feel like wronged by the world. I more just feel like hopeless. Right. Mm. And so like, I, and then I, you get dramatic about it. So like my boyfriend trying to snuggle me and I'm like, I don't deserve cuddles. Oh, <laughs> like, you know? God. Like, yeah. It just gets so dark. But I mean, I think that honestly, because I was in that unique position where like, I've always looked at it like, yeah, I was sexually assaulted. I've gone through some things like, you know, everyone has their own trauma and I think it's never like trauma versus trauma. Right. But like, yeah, I've gone through trauma, but like that trauma has also given me so much strength and so much community. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. my best, the, the friends that I connect with the most are mm-hmm. other survivors. Right. right? the people who understand me the most are other mm. people who have like this manic work energy. Mm. Right. And like the, so do you know what I mean? So it's kind totally. of like. Confidant, sober girlies. Are you looking to cut back or cut out alcohol this year? Come on, join me and Zach on our sober journeys. Recess zero proof craft mocktails are the perfect alcohol replacement. We've recreated the cocktails you know and love, like a lime margarita and a grapefruit paloma, so you can enjoy the flavors and feelings of those cocktails without the booze. That's right. Zero proof, zero compromise. Listeners can get 15% off the Recess Mocktail Sampler at takearecess.com slash Kelsey. Each can is lightly sparkling mocktail infused with functional ingredients like so many stress balancing adaptogens made with real fruit and only 25 calories or less. It's a guilt-free way to unwind. Whether you're relaxing after work or hanging out with friends, make recess mocktails your drink between drinks or like me, your forever mocktail. I am so obsessed with the ginger lime mule and also the grapefruit paloma for spring. It's my favorite go-to weekend drink. Get 15% off recess mocktails now at takearecess.com slash Kelsey so you can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences. Now, I know what you're thinking, Kelsey, when did you become obsessed with cowboy boots? Well, did you forget that I was raised in Florida? Are you forgetting I'm a little country girl by heart? I even wore my Tacovas recently when I went on a ski trip with my family to Colorado. I wore my white Tacovas when I went to the Taylor Swift concert. And if you didn't think you would need cowboy boots anytime soon, uh, might I remind you that Beyonce just dropped her little country album and you're going to need some Tacovas. Tacovas is my favorite boot brand and they're bringing a fresh perspective to hair boot making. So they've carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they've innovated on comfort, style, and service. Their Western boots for men and women are handmade from the most premium leathers with over 200 time-honored individual steps. And Tacova's is Western to their core, offering a bunch of other head-to-toe Western staples, trucker jackets, the perfect jeans to go with your boots, performance pearl snaps, cowboy hats, bandanas, you name it, and they'll get you outfitted. If you can't make it to one of their stores, Tacovas delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and point your toes west. I it's have- given you the strength of who you can be today and balancing yeah. that and making sure that it doesn't propel you into a uh, ignorance I guess right like it's it's complex 
It really is. And I, I guess like winding down, because I know I've kept you over time. I'm sorry. No, no. Um, like coming back, right? Like you're out of rehab now. I drank the day I got out of rehab because I was like, I'm not here for alcohol. I'm here for mental health. I don't have a drinking problem. <laughs> like it was, I was not okay coming out of rehab. And I always say like the one that I went to like was that foo-foo Malibu Hills like bullshit that I was like I was getting massages we had like a personal chef I was on vacation I did not go to like fucking wow (laughs) but I did learn like I did learn some tools and like blah 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 got new medication yada yada but I guess like someone could look at your situation right and be like okay now she has to go on like the apology tour or now like how she's been canceled and now she's uncanceling herself like you know I'm thinking all the headlines that people want to write but I think only you can only, you know, your intention and like your purpose for stepping back into a space of business, of making uh, public uh, statements again to making, yeah. you know, to doing meetings, taking doing podcasts, whatever. So I guess like, how do you how do you bounce back? Like, how do you come back? How do you fucking do this <laughs> I mean I have no fucking idea like I I actually you're the first person that I've ever met who will ha, has also gone to rehab like, oh, hey. I don't, yeah. like I don't I don't know and mm. I mean I think that like so you know when I hit my four-week mark in rehab like I I got like agoraphobic where I was like I'm not leaving like yeah. I don't like I was terrified of the world I was like I was convinced my family hates me. Everyone Mm. hates me. You know, I was so hurt by Mm. like, honestly, like some of my former team members, um, knowing like, I feel like I hurt them and so Mm. that I was blaming myself. But then I was also so upset that like people that I expected to reach out did No one was on your side. No, like it was, it, it was just sort of this. And the people who were, were then also publicly like, you right. know, not, and, so and there's not even a side. It's just about being like, there were flawed human I beings. <laughs> I know. And I, so I, I honestly was like, well, I'm not leaving. Like I mm-hmm. remember crying and like the, I remember the third week, week I was there, my therapist and the discharge planner, are like planning for how you leave. And I just would break down. I'm like, I can't, I can't have full panic attack. Like, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. This is a safe bubble. Yep. I do not want to leave here. And it took a lot and it took like a couple more weeks to get me to a place of like, okay, I'm leaving. Okay. I have to go back to the real world. (laughs) And I was so scared. I was like terrified. Like, you know, I'm still kind of building back, like talking to my family because I think I feel a lot of Mm. responsibility and guilt for like Mm. also what they went through with this. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. people did reach out to them. People did then try to come after them. Like my sisters are also like influencers. Like Mm. it just became this whole sort of, yeah, I was terrified and I didn't make posts on social media like Mm. for months. And then I'm now kind of going back and I, I, I haven't seen, I haven't gotten sort of that negative, but like it is a daily thing that I yeah. wake up every day or I check social media and like my anxiety is so high. Cause like, yeah. even though I do think that all of the things that were brought up are completely valid and I need to be held accountable for being like a 22 year old who like has a, a social, like social media, mm-hmm. the effects of social media in general mm-hmm. is terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. Like my sister called me. My sister called me today and she was like, you're posting too much stuff about periods. And I was like, oh, but I'm passionate about it. Like, I'm not, I'm just passionate about periods. And she's like, "Like, it's too much. Like, you're going to get, you're going to get canceled. And I was like, it's like, you know, it's a constant new fear. And 
Um, so I don't, all this to say, I don't know how to come back and I'm, I'm not, I'm actually like, I don't view it as like, I was canceled and I was not, I was like, I was like held accountable for, for things that I really need to do self work on and learning. And I am not done with that. I just started it. I'm continuing going on. And like, I'm still working with these accountability coaches. I have Mm -hmm. multiple therapists still, Mm -hmm. and I have an executive coach who I like live by and like it's it's kind of like I feel like I'm I don't see it as like oh I'm gonna uncancel like I'm gonna go be go be the girl boss I actually think like I don't have yeah like I don't really (laughs) think I have this I don't have this inspiration anymore of like oh I'm at the top I'm at the top I'm at the top but I am kind of in this place of like I want to talk about this you know like since I've gotten back so many young younger girls on my following are like, I'm so depressed in quarantine. I don't want to tell anyone. Right. Or mm. people who do want to still talk about periods who are just learning about it. And I'm like, yeah, let's fucking come well, together. It's, in community. It, like, I feel the way, like not comparing you to like Lena Dunham. Right. But no. I remember having this like internal struggle being like, she's such an advocate for chronic pain and like endometriosis specifically. And like, we need that celebrity to talk about it to make change unfortunately and like it sucks that it had to be like someone that I think anyone could quickly label like a shitty white woman and someone who like denies you know survivors stories and it's like I had that internal struggle of like can someone be an advocate that I trust and be a flawed human being that's not perfect that not everyone is gonna like and you know do I share my opinions about that person or like stand up for them or support them or donate to them or whatever like how do you I guess kind of reckon with that right because I think maybe some like black women could say well like we don't trust her like we don't want to do whatever work she's doing so how do you manage like your own amends I guess is that yeah. a loaded question? I mean, so, <laughs> no, no. I mean, and these are, these are important questions I've been obsessing mm. over, right? And mm. that's part of, like, starting in June and working with these accountability coaches, like, and that's, I'm just going to call it that, like, yeah. <laughs> the, they, um, I mean, they did a lot of sort of work with me on, and I'm still on the road of making amends, right? Mm. Like, there are people that I want to make amends for, like, literally for, like, friends that I was, I was not a great friend mm. because work for me has always come over everything. Right, I was sure. not a great sister. I was not a great daughter. Like, I think that for me, I am still very much on that road, but it, a lot of it was learning about like, what does it look like to do sort of reckoning within yourself mm. and make sure you get to a place where like, you're ready to go make amends mm. and it's really authentic. Right. Mm. Because that was my thing with the whole, like, I know we call it like apology to our community. Yeah. I still am working up to that space where like, I know I'm going to go into those conversations and mean everything I say and understand the harm that I caused. Right. right? And so I, I, like, I'm still on that. And like, again, I'm not at a place where like, I expect people to trust me. Like I'm going into every conversation being like, I need to earn respect Mm. and trust. Like, Mm. I think another thing is like, as I, I am making the conscious decision to get back into work. Right. Like, and mostly because like, I don't have the luxury to not work, sure, <laughs> like, sure, sure, sure. Uh, you know, but like, I think that for me, I'm, I already feel that I'm doing it in a different way of like, I am surrounding people in like horizontal share of power. And mm. like, I'm bringing in people who like, who are actually some of the people who 
coming out or coming in on social media are now team members of mine. Wow. And like, yeah. So I kind of wanted it from a, like, I genuinely want to learn from you. Yeah. I want to do this with you and like, let's talk about this. And so again, still on the journey. Yeah, sure. Work in progress. Well, no, I think like, I, I, that's why, you know, when we started this conversation, I was like, damn, she's got balls to like <laughs> be able to like talk about this shit. Right. Because I think it can feel so at the end of the day, so fucking embarrassing. And someone with any sort of anxiety or depression or panic disorder, like our greatest fear is being embarrassed embarrassed in front of people and like to be called out on like a social media stage or whatever like just acknowledging the the shame right acknowledging the self-shame acknowledging the public shame and you know what's the difference between uh what is it shame and um what's the other one what is it guilt Guilt. right and it's like recognizing that like I might feel guilty about something, but just like you said, it's when the conversations need to be had, it's because you're going to mean it. And it's because you're going to have started doing the work that is continuous and never ending and and acknowledging it. And like, thank you again for being that and just showing that there's like another side to it, because I think it's really easy to come back and be like, I'm cured and fixed. I fucked up. I was problematic. And now I'm not because look, I struggled and it's like no I I appreciate the in-between like I appreciate the gray area and I I just appreciate what you're doing so like I'm not gonna be like what's next for you the way I ask like every like guest that comes on here but maybe just like how are you now how do you feel (laughs) how how are you today (laughs) I mean I, I'll say it completely varies. So I grew up with my, with my mom. My mom was never like about antibiotics all the time, like was very careful about that. Um, and so I had never tried mental health like meds Mm. until rehab and that I feel like miles better, mostly because I've been an extreme insomniac my whole life. Yeah. And now I have a sleeping pill that I should probably not lean so heavily on that. Like puts me out and yeah, but you got to get sleep get your I know sleep. I gotta get sleep yeah so and and I, I want to be careful of like I'm not advocating for meds but I'm saying it has been life-changing for me yep. like having antidepressants having mm-hmm. like like you know you know taking it very yeah. careful but with certain ones that will just calm my panic attack down mm-hmm. so I'm doing a lot better I will say that like I'm trying to graduate school Ooh. like that's something I need to do I'm in senior right oh now God. and like I have been kind of just really excited about building out this um kind of just in a completely new space of you know wanting to expand on my work with gender equality and as mm. I said like in a different way um yeah so I I'm feeling good and crocheting a lot oh and- fuck yeah I got super into knitting when I <laughs> you need it's it's soothing listen I have a whole chapter in my book about knitting, which I can't wait to send to you, by the way, because I think it's going to be like, I can't wait to see our books together on a shelf, like pink explosion. Um, I love it. Well, thank you again so much. I mean, this is such like just the tip of the iceberg of a conversation that like a larger conversation that could be had, but I appreciate you for going as deep as you have and, and only wish you the best. And I'm just like glad we finally met. 
<laughs> me too. Me too. Thank you so much. So Seriously. do you want to, do you want to plug anything? Do you want to like tell people what the fuck? <laughs> that, I mean, I guess all I'll say is like, I really, really appreciate when other people like share with me what they got out of, you know, hearing my story or wanting to talk. And like, I spend so much time like interacting with strangers on social media mm-hmm. because like, I do know a lot of the sh- shit I'm talking about is unfortunately very common, right? right? Like the amount of, especially women who've gone through similar things is mm. awful. Yeah. And that experience can feel so isolating. And so like, I think I would just want to say like, I'm sending love to everyone and like hit me up. Like my social media handles are my name. And so, um, the kids yeah, know I, how to find us. You know how to find I'm us. always like, though, this is pointless putting social media handles in the fucking description. Cause everyone, you're just going to figure it out. <laughs> I know. I know. But, um, but yeah, I'll just say that. And I'm excited for the future for sure. Oh, well, thanks, Nadia. Um, I will send out the same good vibes to all the confidants for this week. And also, Period Power is such a powerful book, no pun intended. Um, And it's very cute for a coffee table (laughs) book, like if you just also need decor. Um, Okay, confidants, have a great week. I'll see you next week. Bye. 